welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. I don't know about you, but there's moments in time and moments in life when you experience God in a way that's just so precious. You know those moments? If you haven't had those moments yet, you will. Just hang around with us long enough and you will. But those moments are so precious and we love those moments. And, and my heart is always, God, can we, can we continue to build from those moments? Like let those not just be moments, but let those moments turn into momentum. Momentum is a whole bunch of moments compounded together. You know that? Momentum is simply a whole bunch of moments compounded together, creating a sustainable force that can't be stopped. It's called momentum. That's my, always my prayer. I don't, I don't like these, these one, one moments and it's like then we wait for another moment. I, my prayer is always, God, bring us into some sort of momentum where we continually, continually, it's like Paul encouraging the church at Ephesus while he was in jail. He said, guys, be continually filled with the Spirit. Don't just have a moment with the Spirit. Be in a momentum of being filled and overcome and overwhelmed with the Spirit. That, that's, what's, that, that's God's heart for you. And says he, he says in Ephesians 5 verse 18, it says, don't be drunk with wine, which will screw up your life eventually. I know that to be true might empty your bank account, right? might cause you to do things that you don't want to do that really aren't who you are, but you, you start doing the things that you, you aren't because you're in an influ- under an influence that's not healthy for you. Paul said, don't be drunk with wine, which will lead to destruction. He said, be drunk with the Spirit. He actually didn't say be drunk with the Spirit, but he said be filled with the Spirit. But he connected the two for a purpose, for a reason. He said, don't be under the influence of something that will cause you to do things that are contrary to your character, the good parts of you. But be under the influence of the Spirit, which will cause you to be bold with your faith, not quit when it gets hard, not give up, not be ashamed of who you are. You guys tracking with me? Don't be under that influence. Be under that influence. Be intoxicated with the presence of God. That's what he was saying. Be intoxicated with the presence of God. Take a sniff of the word, of the line of his word, and watch what happens. Just take a puff of Jehovah Wana. No, I'm just joking. Take a puff. Just one puff will change everything. All that to say is there's a better influence. And when we're under his influence, he guides us. And he instructs us. And how many want the instructions of God? Like really, you want the instructions of God because you're in a, a battle right now. It's tough right now. There's some things you're facing right now. You need the instructions of God. How many have built Ikea furniture? How many don't read the instructions? A few of you. Because you just think you're so good, right? <laughs> 
How many, how many have like gone halfway through like an Ikea piece or something? I, I, by the way, I have like a bitterness towards Ikea. I'm not like, I have a little bit, I need healing. I'm like, we went through a season where all of our stuff was Ikea and like, I just got so jarred by the whole experience. I'm like, I, I, I don't even, I feel queasy when I, when I, when I, when if my wife brings home Ikea furniture. Now it's just more for my kids, which is okay. But anything big, I just feel queasy. It reminds me of a time in our life when everything was Ikea. In our, when our first apartment, everything was Ikea. We spent hours just building things from Ikea. But how many remember, like, or, or know, like, when you, you're, you're, you're reading the instructions, and sometimes you just do, like, one little thing the wrong way. And it affects the whole piece. And then when you dismantle something from Ikea, if it's not like a high-end part type of equipment from Ikea or furniture piece from Ikea, when you dismantle it, it, it kind of like gets weaker and weaker. You notice that? Like it's like, it's not as tight anymore, right? Or you may split something because you, you do it again or you might strip something or you might end up damaging a, a nut or one of those little wood, you know, those little wood pieces that go in and then you break them, you know, like, you guys know what I'm talking about? And you got to go back to Ikea, get a little wood piece. It's like such an inconvenience, you know? And, uh, but it's so important, I believe, to read the instructions. Like, unless you're Matt, you got to read the instructions. You know, you got to read the instructions because if you just miss one little piece, the whole thing will be off. And God, see, it's kind of like, in our relationship with God, God is building something for you, through you. He's building something for you, through you. I think you need to hear that again. He's building something for you, the purpose, the plan that he has for you, but it's through you. And if you don't read the instructions properly, you might get three years into the process and realized that, man, I didn't spend enough time on the foundation. Now i got to go back, dismantle a bunch of things in my life to get back to the place where I can actually repair the foundation. Because you can build a house, and if you don't think put do things right in the stages that you are called to build the house in, you, you might have to dismantle some things, take some walls apart to fix some of the electrical in the walls. You might have to put some holes in the walls, re-drywall the walls, because if you didn't do the thing right the first time, it's going it's to radically affect everything the second time. God wants us to read the instructions in life. He wants us to follow His steps. He wants us to listen to His leading. He wants us to be drunk under His influence, so to speak. He, he wants us to think like Him. He wants us to know the way that he sees things, because if we know the way that he sees things, the way that we will approach things will be from his vantage point, not from our own shallow, narrow vantage point, but from his high and lofty, I see from above, aerial view vantage point. Because God sees from above. God sees the big picture, right? When you get higher, you see the big picture. If you get into a plane and you look at what, what you look at one kilometer in a plane, you say, oh, that's pretty, that's short. But when you're walking one kilometer and you don't know how long one kilometer takes and you keep walking and walking and walking, it feel it can feel overwhelming and long, right? But when you get a big, an aerial view, you're like, wow, this is actually shorter than I thought. Why was I freaking out so much down there? You got to get an aerial view. You got to get under his influence. You got to see like he sees because God is really strategic. You know that? God is really strategic. 
God doesn't care so much about the end as you do. He cares a lot more about how your heart's doing while you're in the present. The end will come. You'll get to the end. You'll get to the exit. But he really cares about how you handle yourself on the highway. When somebody with a Quebec license plate cuts you off, how do you handle your heart on the highway? <laughs> I just struck out, didn't I? How do you handle yourself on the highway? Because you're going to get to the exit, right? And you'll get to your destination. And you won't see that guy anymore or that woman anymore. On the, uh, probably. They're, they're going to continue on. But how do you feel? Has it affected you? By the time you get to your destination, you're so riled up. See, God cares not about your destination as much as you do. Because he has a plan to get you there. He cares about how you handle the process on the route to your destination. But you got to read the instructions. You got to get his wisdom. You got to get his strategy. You got to get his perspective. Maybe for you, it's about being a good mom, a good dad. Like, you know, that's it's your heart. That's your goal. I mean, it should be all of ours, all of our hearts. If we have family and we want to be a good mom, we want to be a good dad to our kids, to our family. We want to be a good husband, a good wife. We want to be a good friend, a good coworker, good leader, good boss, good manager, whatever we are called to be and do. I mean, and and but we have these roadblocks that's trying to stop us from being those things, right? But if we have the instructions ahead of time of how to deal with those things when they come or even to be aware of the things that will come before they come, you know how much easier it is? There's nothing worse than a surprise, right? When you're building an Ikea piece of furniture. It's like you read the instructions, but you're surprised. Maybe you didn't know you had to have a drill. You didn't know you had to have this. You didn't know you had to have that. And, and, and you're surprised. So now you got to go out of your way to do things that you didn't expect to do. And it takes up more time, right? Those things happen, don't they? They really do. And there are things along the journey that if we read the instructions and we're following the steps, they actually bring comfort to the things that come that are a surprise. They alleviate some stress because at least we're continuing to build the way that we're called to build. Although surprises may come, I'm not so stressed out. At least I know how to get it done. At least I know how to approach it. Are you following me? See, Paul, Paul, Paul as a spiritual father, Paul the apostle wrote 13, 13 letters of the New Testament. 13 books of the New Testament. That's a little less than half of the entire New Testament. So Paul's a big deal. Everyone say Paul. Paul's a big deal. Paul the Apostle, big deal. There was a bunch of his letters that he wrote while he was in prison. It's a pretty big deal. Encouraging the discouraged while he's in chains. That's a big deal, right? It's kind of cool, right? It's like somebody who's sick praying for the sick. It's kind of a big deal, right? Shows faith, right? That while you're sick, you're believing for other people to be healed that are sick. Right? While you're struggling, you're believing for other people to get out of their struggle. It's kind of a big deal because it shows that, hey, you're not letting your own life, you're not letting your own life stop you from loving someone else's life. Paul, Paul lived that out. He was an example. He, he wrote these two books called First and Second Timothy to his spiritual son, Timothy. Paul wrote them to encourage his son, Timothy. He was a father. He was a spiritual dad to, to Tim. Good old Tim. 
And he was encouraging him. And he was modeling what it looked like to pay attention while building. Because Tim was a pastor. And he was in a place called Ephesus. And there was lots of stuff that Timothy was up against. Lots of false teaching. Lots of false doctrine that was being spread. He was in a a very... uh, 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 Roman soldier populated area. He understood the language that they would use in the military in that time. He understood that. And so if you read First and Second Timothy, Paul uses language about fighting. He uses language about being like a good soldier. He uses language about not being concerned so much with uh, civilian affairs, but being concerned with the kingdom. And, and he, he uses language, or military language, because he knew Timothy would understand more because of the context he was in. He probably had soldiers that were coming to his church. And, and, and there were a whole bunch of things that Timothy was going to come up against as a young pastor. It was like a five-year window of time, and he was going through it, and and he was a young guy, and Paul even said to Timothy, hey, don't, don't like, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Like, be an example in your youth, Timothy. It's because you're young and you don't have all the experience that I may have as a spiritual dad in your life, and I've been traveling. Just because you're young, don't think that you don't have what it takes. Just read the instructions, you'll be good. So he's like, don't, don't think that, hey, I've never built a piece of Ikea furniture before. Don't get overwhelmed with it. Don't, don't, don't look at it from, from, a, from a, a, a grasshopper's view. Get, you know, realize that you're bigger than it in the end. If God's called you to it, you're bigger than it. If God's called you to build it, he'll give you the instructions to how, and how to build it. So it doesn't mean you won't have surprises along the way, but at least you have the instructions. At least you have the warning. At least you have the awareness of how to get, to get from A to B. Are you with me? See, because good fathers instruct us. Good fathers give us the strategy and how to build. And, and in 1 Timothy, I want you to go there with me. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Paul is encouraging his spiritual son. He says, Timothy, my son... Here are my instructions for you. Listen to this. Here are here is the blueprint based on what does it say? The prophetic words spoken about you earlier. So may these instructions help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Does it say your battles? No, it says the Lord's battles. You know what the Lord's battle is? The Lord's battle is you fulfilling your destiny. There's a difference between his battle and your own battle that you chose to fight because you just want to fight it and it's not even his battle. You get to the end of it, you're like, oh, that was pointless. Everybody, anybody ever experienced that before? Like you get into battles that really aren't the battles that you're called to fight. You know, it's like marriage, right? You got to, people say, pick and choose your battles. Like, is this worth getting into an argument over? Like, is it really worth it? Right? Or you just leave it. Not to say, because there's some people that want to sweep everything under the rug in the name of picking their battles, but believe they're just fear of having a fear of confrontation, fear of conflict. Because actually, healthy marriage looks like conflict resolve, running towards conflict. Running away from conflict is dishonor. Running towards conflict to resolve it is always the highest form of honor. It's quiet in the room. Don't run from conflict. Don't sweep, sweep it under the rug. Because, you know, even Paul to Timothy is like, you're going to deal with this stuff. you got to learn how to deal with it. 
Don't, don't hide from it. Work it out. Fight it out. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. So Tim had all these prophecies, okay, about his future. He saw the, the, the Ikea piece. Ikea's getting a big plug this morning. He, he, he saw the furniture piece that would be built through his life one day through some of the prophetic words. We don't exactly know what prophetic words these were. We do know, based upon the next book, that there was impartation that was given to him about with some prophetic gifts and things that were in his life that he was called to activate and awaken. We'll get there in a second. But what we don't really know what exactly these prophetic words were pointing to, but we do know it probably pointed to a future destination that he would get to one day. But now he had to get onto the highway before the exit, and he had to work some stuff out. He had to work out what he was going to do when somebody from Quebec would cut him off. He had to work out what he was going to do when, when, when somebody would slam on their brakes and then, the, you, you know, and then you end up crashing, which just actually happened to me a couple weeks ago. You, 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 learn, you learn how to handle situations. You really learn how to handle situations. He was teaching them how to fight so that the prophetic words that were over his life could be fulfilled. But he had to read the instructions. I want you to write this, this thought down because I'm actually not going to go through my points this morning. But I am going to bring you some points through the context and content of what I'm sharing. But write this thought down, okay? It's happening based on dot, dot, dot. Look to your neighbor and say, it's happening to you based on. Whatever is happening to you right now is happening to you based on the promise, the purpose, and the plan that God has for your life. Now, when, when I say that, keep in mind, I'm not saying that everything that's happening to you is based on. But every, everything that is happening to you will be a contributing factor in how you get to your destination. There are things that are happening to you that have to happen to you that are based on the plan, the purpose, the vision of God for your life, the purpose of God for your life. But there are things that are happening to you that you've allowed into your life, we've allowed into our lives, that we have engaged with or invited into our life. And although those things weren't meant necessarily, they didn't have to happen, they're happening and God, who's so redemptive, will turn those things around to make them a part of your process. And he will find some crazy, weird way to bring good out of it. It's happening to you based on. And if you would learn to read the instructions, because I believe instructions come through many different forms. They don't just, yes, they come in this context through the word. Everyone say the word. They come through the word. They do. They also come through relationships. You know that? The people sitting around you, the people that you can often tell a lot about your destiny by the people that you attract when you're in a good place. When you're in the healthiest form or version of you, you can usually, you can usually begin to see the calling and purposes 
that are around and in your life based upon the type of people that you attract to your life when you're in a healthy place. Look at those around you. And this is the reality. They're all a part of that journey of getting you there. They carry a piece of the instruction. Because there's nothing more refining than relationship. You could be alone with God and feel like the most holiest person on the earth. But when you get around people, that's when we really see the true colors of an individual. When people run you the wrong way, they rub you the wrong way, and they get a, they agitate you, they frustrate you, they challenge your patience, they challenge your character, that's when you really see the true you. You don't see the true you when you're just alone. Right? You really don't. But when you get around people, the insecurities, those things, they just get magnified, don't they? Right? The fears. The pride, they get magnified. You don't have to deal with a lot of that when you're alone, but it's with people. So we have the, the word that instructs us. We have relationships, and we also have life. The things that life throws at us, right? Think about the challenges you're facing right now. Within those challenges, there are instructions for you. Within those challenges, there are things that you will learn in the process that will instruct you forward if you can embrace them. Within the challenges of your health, physically, mentally, emotionally, there is hidden instruction to teach you about what it looks like to be healthier. Within the challenges of work-related issues or things breaking down in your life, financial troubles, circumstances that you did not expect, surprises that you did not expect. Within those things, those realities, there are hidden instructions to make you a better person, to make you bigger, to make you better. And we have a choice within those processes to either become bitter or better. And we choose. Do you want to be bitter from it? or better because of it? Do you want to be bitter from it or better because of it? Do you want to be bitter from it or better because of it? Should I say it again? Bitter from it or better because of it? If you can take that thought and apply it to every struggle right now that you've been through or are in, do I want to get bitter from this and stay bitter? Because bitter is like poison. Bitter is like poison. Or do I want to become better from this crazy challenge? And I'm going to come on the other side, out on the, out on the other side and be able to celebrate like, wow, you know what I went through? I went through it and I didn't get bitter because of it. I got better. I'm a better human. My love is stronger. My grace is bigger for people. My compassion is greater. I'm just a better person all around. But how many know some bitter people? They didn't get a hold of the instruction on the inside of that struggle. That instruction was, listen, if you don't shift your perspective, bitterness will be like a cancer to your life and divide everything good in your life and destroy everything great in your life. If you can see that, 
I'm sure all of us, if we could see that, we'd pick the other side. I want to get better because, because of what's happening in my, in my life. Let me read this again to you. I'm going to read the whole passage actually, just actually a part of the passage. And we're going to continue diving into this a little deeper. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 18 to 20. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on. I, I actually, when I read scripture, and I'm just going to give you a little hint right now. Like, I actually stay on this verse, 18, for like an hour. I'll meditate on this verse. I'm just going to give you a little tool. As you grow in your relationship with God, the Holy Spirit actually allows you. The word is like a gate, okay? Picture the word like a doorway or a gate. When you meditate on the word, you actually have the ability to get into the word. So the word now just, you don't just read it, it reads you. When you meditate on the word, you go from just reading the word to it reading you. And you start seeing areas of your life that you never saw before based upon what you're reading. It starts to read your heart back to you. Read your spirit back to you. Read your circumstances back to you. And it gives you a picture, an aerial view perspective that you didn't have before. When I read this, Timothy, my son, I picture myself as the son. This is how I read the word. I'm the son right now. You're the daughter. Picture yourself. Here are my instructions for you based on all the promises over your life, Sean. All the promises spoken about you earlier. All the things you've had in the last decade or more. Words that have been prophesied over your life. Things that you know are yours for the taking. Dreams that have been put in your heart. May these instructions that I'm about to give you, may they help you fight well in his battles. So I think about it and I meditate on this. I'm like, man, what are the things that I'm fighting? What are the things that actually are the things that I'm supposed to be fighting? Like, what are the Lord's battles? And it says in verse 19, cling to your faith and Christ and keep your conscience clear. Then I see this. I see it right away. I see two things. I see cling and I see keep things clear. That's how I look at the word. I'm just giving you, can I bring you into my process a little bit? Okay. I'm, a, I'm just going to go off the rails a little bit for a second. I read this and I'm like, cling and clear. Those things stand out to me. Now this is out of the New Living Translation. Cling and clear. I got to cling to my faith and I got to keep my mindset clear. My conscience clear. How many know that when we carry around guilt, it affects our conscience, doesn't it? When this is not clear, it's usually a res the result of faith that is disconnected or unclinged to. Because when you cling to your faith, you, you, you are more likely to have a clear conscience. So I think of clinging, and I think of having a clear frame of thinking. And, I, and then I read, I read on, it says, for some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. So when you violate that little, that what you know you should be doing and you're not doing, and you over and over again, you know what he says actually in the next book, actually he says that you have a seared conscience. You know when you sear meat on both sides, it locks everything in, right? right? Well, you see, when you sear your conscience, you no longer have access inside. 
Unless you cut everything open, you don't know what's on the inside. When you sear meat on both sides, you actually can't see how pink it is on the inside. Can you? Right? It like locks you out visually. The more and more you sear your conscience and don't keep it clear, what ends up happening is all of a sudden now there's a disconnect. And it says here, people that have violated their consciences over and over again have a shipwrecked faith. I've been around long enough to see a lot of shipwrecked faith. A lot of shipwrecked faith. Has anybody ever seen any shipwrecked faith? People start off well. Honeymoon stage of God. It's like, God, Jesus, you're real. And then stuff hits the fan. It's like last week I talked about it. Crap comes into your life. But how many know crap is needed for a crop? You got to spread the crap out for a crop. It's a great message title. Crap for crop. We need that in our life. Now, let me just read a little bit more. For some people have deliberately violated their consciousness as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. And then he goes on to say people that have actually experienced this and how they've had to deal with them. And he actually refers to one of them later on again. And we might get there, we may not. But let me just bring you a little further into this. When he says... These are the instructions to help you fight. What he's saying is fight in spiritual warfare. The language is not a physical altercation. See, a lot of us spend a lot of time in our physically in these altercations of human effort. We're trying to make things work in our own effort. We're all guilty of it, right? Anybody in here willing to admit it? None of us have a flawlessness and knowing exact, always being in the Lord's battle. Like always knowing what battle is ours to fight with God. You know, some of us, we're fighting all these battles we're not called to fight. And eventually we're going to wear ourselves out. The reason why we wear ourselves out in life and become weary often is because we're not fighting the right fight. So when he says here, I'm giving you these instructions to fight well, to fight well in the Lord's battles. It's to engage in spiritual warfare like you are in the military. It's military language. And the word, the phrase Lord's battles really is your apostolic career of pain and suffering. That's what it means. So Tim, okay, you have this call. You see it based upon the the prophetic words over you. You're called to be this apostolic leader to build, to father, to pastor. I see this on you. It's going to be amazing. You're going to be a great businessman. You're going to be a great this and a great great that, great governmental leader. But just know this, that your career and and, and your promise is going to get, is attached to some pain and suffering. And so here are my instructions when you come up against the pain and suffering that you're going to have to, to have so that you can move through. So that you can move through. I I remember a time, and I'm going to go a little bit here. You guys okay? Stay with me. I remember a time I was, I I was, we were flying to LA. This is like, I don't know, maybe four, three or four years ago. We were flying to LA and I was in the Ottawa airport and I walked up to the, uh, the little convenience store. I was getting some almonds or something at the convenience store. I walked up to the convenience store. I think my wife was with me at the time. I don't remember. Uh, and uh, I walked up, and, and uh, it was both of us on the trip. But I don't remember if she was there or not. We walked up, and, and we were at the front desk. And the guy looks at me, 
and uh, looks at me and says, um, <laughs> it was actually the greatest compliment at the time. He's like, you're, a, you're, you're an MMA fighter, aren't you? I'm like, no. He's like, no, 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 I've seen you before. You're like a professional MMA fighter. Like, I've seen you on TV. I'm like, no, no, I, I, I'm not an MMA fighter. He said it a third time. And at the third time, I was like, no, but thank you for the compliment. I feel like it's kind of a compliment, I think. I went back and told my wife, I don't know if you remember this, and I was like, I just got the coolest compliment. This guy was convinced I was an MMA fighter. I'm like, isn't that so cool? But the crazy thing is, okay, one week later, seven days later, I was flying back from L.A. to Ottawa. And in the airport, same scenario, but on the other side, I was in, I was going into this convenience store area to get something, a snack or something. And I walk up and the guy behind the desk looks at me and says, you're a, you're a professional wrestler. You're, you're a professional fighter. I've seen before. I'm like, no. He's like, no, 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 you're, you're in the UFC, aren't you? I'm like, no. I think he even said WWF. No, I don't know if WWF, but I was like something about wrestling. I'm like, no. And, and so because it happened twice on the same trip, I'm like, God, you've got my attention. I'm like, man, I'm, call, I'm, I'm in the wrong calling here. Like, I, I need to shift my whole world. Like, I am in the wrong space. <laughs> but when, when I, was caught, I was thinking about this, this is what God spoke to me. He said, Sean, no. He's like, no. He said, pay attention. He's like, you may not see it, but everybody is seeing it for you. You're about to move into the, one of the greatest fights of your life. And I remember at that time, at that juncture, we were about to move into a big, a big fight in the spirit over some things, in the spirit. And it was like I had to hear it from somebody else as instruction to get me ready and positioned so that when I came up against some of the surprises of this piece, this Ikea piece thing not fitting properly because it wasn't manufactured right and it's kind of slightly off and not level and now the wood split, I got to make sure I have the grace and the patience to find a solution. I got to fight my way through it because I know it's his battle because God forewarned me because he gave me the instruction. You tracking with me? Fight well. Fight well. Let me just give you a few things here. We're almost done. I, I guess I said I, I'm not going to go through the points, I, but I want to give you some, some substance here to, to go with, to go, to go away with. If you actually look at, if you look at when Paul says to Timothy, here are my instructions for you to fight well in the Lord's battles. And then you actually read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and you look at all the topics that Paul chose to address. It's very interesting. Let me just go through them with you for a second, because these are, these, these are the instructions that were given to this young Timothy in building his apostolic career as a pastor of a church in Ephesus, Okay. He was instructed about worship. Because you know, worship, like what we do on Sunday in music isn't the only form of worship. But it is one form, gathering together. Worship is simply, it's not Christian karaoke. I, I hope to God that people, like everybody that comes in, whether you're new or not, that you, that you understand really quickly that this is not a Christian karaoke service. Where you get up and just sing words on a screen. I actually, I never look at the screen. Very rarely. And even if I don't know the song or not, I very rarely. Why? Because I'm connected in worship despite lyrically me reading words. I may know the words, 
But I'm connecting to God in worship. Now, I don't expect everybody to do that. But if you just sit here and read the screen, eventually it becomes like Christian karaoke. There's a connection in worship God wants you to have with your heart. Right? So, so the words may be a guide, but aren't the end. Like the law was a guide to bring you to the end of yourself. The, worship, the, the lyrics are just a guide to bring you into connection. So worship was one of the first topics that was addressed in, 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 for Timothy because, man, he was going to have to know how to coordinate this, understand the value of it, because worship also it, uh, is one of the greatest tools to win fights in the spirit. You know, when you're, when, when you're in pain, some of the apostles, when they were in prison and they were in chains, they began to worship. What happened was the earth, the, the prison shook, an angel showed up, broke the chains, they got up out of prison. Why? Because they began to worship. Because worship actually has the power to break things in your life that are limiting you and holding you down. Worship will shake things up in your life. You want, you want some breakthrough? Go into your room when you're struggling. Don't pray. Don't get your laundry list. Don't do your whole prayer routine. You know, recite Matthew 6 for the Lord, you know, like, as it is in heaven. That's all good, okay? It's all good. You can do that. But go a little deeper than that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can do that, okay? But go a little deeper. Go a little deeper and just get crazy in worship by yourself. Worship God despite your circumstance, despite the sickness, despite the problem. And you watch what begins to shift in your life. It's not just your laundry list of prayers that God cares about. He wants your heart. He wants all of your heart. So worship. Then, then he goes on to talk about leadership in the church. You know, this is how you develop. This is how you coordinate leadership. This is what you do. You have elders. You have deacons. This is how you appoint them. This is what they're responsible for. This is what they need to have in their life. Don't be hasty of appointing any leader in the church because it's not a good thing. If you put them in power, they may abuse that power. So be careful. Be careful, Timothy. Like, you know, look at their wives. Look at the husbands. Look about how much they drink. Are they, are they under control? Are they crazy? Can they manage their own health, household? Because how can, how can they manage God's house if they can't manage their own house? And he has all these requirements that he's helping Tim to see in the appointing of leadership. Then he's talking about dealing with false teaching. How are you going to deal when somebody teaches false stuff and are taking your people out and, and destroying their mindsets and infecting the people? Then he talks about care, taking care of the family and those in need, widows, orphans. What's our role? What's your role? How do you facilitate this in a healthy way? Then he ends off the first book with money. Talking about warning the rich not to, to, love, to love money as a God. Because it's not money that's the root of all evil, Paul says to Timothy. It's the love of money. It's the worship of money. You think money is going to answer all your problems. Money's not going to answer all your problems, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. And so he's, he's warning Timothy in how to deal with the wealthy. He's like, really help them, Tim. Help them see that the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil that will branch out into all kinds of destructive things in their, their, their life. Let money be something that is used for the good, not used for the bad, because there's the love of it. Then there's a break, okay? There's a break. So these are all the things. So we have worship, leadership, false teaching, taking care of family and those in need, and money, okay? And there's a break. And so we don't know how long that break was. 
in this letter, okay? But but we know we know that in this break, maybe some things begin to happen. Imagine, so Timothy's new, okay? He's launched into ministry. He's launched into his career. You start your business, okay? So you have all these prophetic words, instructions. You have great business mentors in your life. You've launched in. You're in government. You're in the, uh, the political world, whatever. And you've launched in. You're, you're in the first stages. And now you're realizing, man, this is harder than I thought it was. Shoot. And I would ever feel that way. Like this job wasn't as a as easy as I thought it was going to be like this is hard these people are hard man like these people I'm dealing with some like Roman soldiers here these guys are hard to deal with man it's hard to pastor these people like this is a hard man sister so-and-so wants blue carpet sister so-and-so wants red carpet man people are complaining about how loud the sound is like how do I deal with this stuff it's crazy why the people are complaining about the fact that the pastor is wearing Yeezys on stage like what's going on like I can't handle the camo outfit like I don't like it like what what's up with the key like I just I'm getting offended by everything and Timothy is like, I don't know how to deal with this stuff. Right? Because none of you think that. I mean, look, we're the perfect church, right? So there's like a break. There's a pause in the spirit and in, 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 in life. And then when he reawakens and he writes 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, now he addresses a whole new slew of topics. These are all part of the instructions for Timothy to fulfill the prophetic words over his life. So you got to read the instructions, Timothy. But he opens it up. Probably Paul's discerning something now. He's like, hey, Timothy, he's struggling, man. He's like getting fearful. He's trying to please people. He's like a, a, a pastor pleaser. You know, he wants to please everybody. You know, someone's mad at the sound, so we turn the sound down. Someone's mad that sound's not loud enough, turn sound up next week. So, you know, it's like you just can't please the people. And Timothy's going through this process. I'm not speaking from experience here, guys. So, so Timothy's going through the process, okay? He's going through the process, and, 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 and so now he needs some encouragement. He's like, oh, I don't want a pastor anymore. Like, Paul, like, you take it over, man. Like, you're the apostolic father. And Paul's like, well, bro, I'm kind of in jail right now. So, so just give me, you know, I can't, really, I can't really do anything for you. I'm kind of in jail. So you need to deal with this. So, so Timothy's there. And the first thing that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 is, that is why I remind you to fan into, in other words, all this stuff you're going through, okay, this is why I'm reminding you now, okay, you need to fan into flame the gracious gift of God, that inner fire, that special endowment which is in you through the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination, verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Paul's like, okay, Timothy... Okay, now it's time because you've been coasting a little bit. You got it all in you, man. You got what you need on the inside of you. You got to fan into flame. Everyone go like this. Come on, do it, do it, do it, do it. And it looks weird. It feels weird. Fan into flame. You got you to reawaken the gifts, the things that God's put in you that maybe you aren't even aware of. You got to wake them up because they're sleeping. You got a little sleepy. Your gifts got a little sleepy managing all the stuff. Managing the battles that weren't yours. Remember, Timothy, I said fight the Lord's battles, not your own. But you got into some battles that weren't your own. And now your gift has been squashed and it's just an ember. But the thing about an ember is that if you blow on an ember, what begins to happen? A flame begins to reignite again. So, Timothy, don't worry about it. You still got the ember on the inside of you, but I need you to go like this a little bit. Come on, fan it into flame. Like, get it, uh, blow on it a little bit. 
wake it up a little bit. You're getting a little sleepy. Get a little aggressive. So he says to Timothy, listen, God's not giving you a spirit of fear. You're not a coward, Timothy. Man up. You're dealing with the military here. You're, man up. Be a man. Don't be a, I could say a lot of things. Be a man. Right? Be a woman. Whatever you, yeah, whatever. Be, be who I've called you to be. You got to wake yourself up a little bit though. Wake yourself up to a little bit. Let me read it in a different translation, the Passion Translation. I'm writing to encourage you, Timothy, to fan into flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift of God imparted to you when I laid my hands upon you. For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. You know what that word self-control means? In the, in the Aramaic, it's actually revelation, light, or instruction. God will continue to give you the instruction that you need that will deal with all the surprises, the things that are outside of the, liter the letter of instruction I've given you. When you wake up the gift on the inside of you, it opens up your eyes. You see different. You see clear. And you'll have what you need to make it. And then he goes on to addressing a whole bunch of other things. Paul says, stay confident. Stay the course. Paul's teaching now. If you read 2 Timothy, look at the chapters and the breakdown and the focuses and the themes. The instruction continues on about learning how to stay confident, dealing with fear, staying the course, not giving up. Because now he's about to give up, right? He wants to give up. You see, do, do you see what I'm saying here? You see, if you look at the context of what he's encouraging Timothy to do and then you look at what he's actually encouraging, you see, okay, there's a correlation between it all. Stay confident. Stay the course, Timothy. It talks about work ethics, Work diligently. Don't be lazy. Talks about staying pure. About understanding like holiness and purity and not doing stupid stuff that is going to take you out. And, and, and not letting the, the, the lusts of your life drive you but be under his influence. He's encouraging Timothy as a young guy like, listen, you know, keep your belt on real tight, bro. I mean, I didn't say that. That's my paraphrase. No one's laughing at that one, but whatever. And then, and then he says, and then he's talking about preparing for the future now. Get ready for the future of what's to come. And he's like, don't, and in all of this, he's like, bro, don't, don't lose your evangelistic edge. Keep doing the work of an evangelist. Don't, don't give up your evangelistic edge. Because now you're a little local pastor. Like, don't, don't forget about those that are on the outside. Like, like keep that fire burning. Like what I've called you to do isn't just in-house, it's out of the house. So get those embers re-woke. Stay woke, bro. That's what he was saying. Stay woke. <laughs> I don't even get that, but whatever. I hear it all the time. Stay woke. 